Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you take my ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I want to preach to you from this thought today. God is with us. But is his love and peace with you? Pray with me. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for being in us, God. I thank you for your spirit. And I pray now that you would anoint me to say things that would honor you. God, I thank you for every person who's come out today. And we ask you to speak to us from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God is with us, but is his love and peace with you? Now, with this size crowd, I could slow it down like a Wednesday night, and we could get a lot of feedback from the people, but we're not going to do that because I want to get you out here early today, and I thank God for everybody's praying for my health. I'm uh, still dealing with some things. Keep me in prayer on, on that regard. But if you'd be honest with yourself, if you're a Christian, is God really always flowing through you? Is God really always manifesting in you? Is God always rushing to your mind with peace and his love? Because I believe that the answer to that for most people is a big fat no. Amen? Uh, Let me say this. uh, As a reminder to the men, it's only eight days left till Christmas. I told you all last week it was 15 days left till Christmas, which means most women had done all that needed to be done. And most men haven't really got started yet. So make sure you get done what you need to get done. We're going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in eight days. Honestly, I believe we should celebrate it every day. Amen? It's just like Easter. Uh, That's a great time for people to come to church and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. But we gather on the first day of the week, as the apostles did, to celebrate the resurrection of God every week. And I hope that you've got your Christmas traditions lined up. I don't fault anybody for what what they do with their family. Uh, I I will be resting and reading the word. Amen? Amen. But Christmas is almost here. And as I've been thinking about Christmas and and what to say to the Lord's people, I found myself in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, a very familiar verse and so beautiful. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was the physical, visible image of the invisible God. Jesus came to the earth to show us the Father. Even when his his disciples asked him to show us the Father, he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the God-man. I heard Alistair Begg say, that many other religions call him a good man, which is not an appropriate title for Jesus at all. Because if he's not the Lord, Savior, Messiah of the world, then he's not a good man at all because he claims something that is not true, and he's either the Lord or he's a liar. So when you hear uh, other religions talk about Jesus being a good man, you know that they are devaluing the Lord. He literally was the physical presence of God in the earth, but I started thinking about that God with us, and some of y'all know I love that old song that says, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I'm his own. I wish that every Christian could truly not just say those words, not just believe those words, but really feel that deep down that he is with me. So many times we say, well, we know he's everywhere, and he is. The Bible teaches us that God is omnipresent. He's not just everywhere. He's everywhere at the same time. That that ought to blow your mind. 
How can anyone be everywhere? How can anyone be in two places at one time, much less everywhere at one time? Well, we know the Bible says, with God, nothing is impossible. But God is everywhere, so of course he's with us, he's where we are, but is he really with you in a way that you can describe it to other people? See, if all we have to offer people is religion, cluttering up their calendar, making them do more work, having them come and, and, and serve God at the church, then a lot of people are never going to embrace the true love and tangible presence of the Lord. I've had many people tell me over the years that when I talk about climbing up into God's lap and sitting in his lap and letting him talk to me and comfort me, I've had many, many, many people tell me I've never experienced anything like that in my Christian walk. And my advice to them will be my advice to you today. Keep walking. Keep walking with God. Walk with God and he will reveal himself. He said, if, if you search for him, you'll find him as long as you keep searching with your whole heart. As, as thinking about God with us, as Christians, we know that when Jesus left, his disciples were very upset. They had given everything up to follow him. They had quit their jobs. They had left their families. They were following him. For about the last 18 months of his ministry, they, they were uh, with him a lot. And when he told them he was going to go away, they were sad. And we, we know that he made a promise to them that when he went away, that God would send the Holy Spirit to be with us, listen, and in us. Say in us. In John 14, 17. Look at this on the screen. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers. The, if you read the Old Testament, you'll read things that will tell you the Holy Spirit came upon this person or came upon that person and then left. David was a unique person in the Old Testament because the Bible says the Holy Spirit was with him always. But everybody else had this coming on and, go, and, and leaving. But when Jesus departed, he promised and God sent the Holy Spirit not just to be in the earth but to live to indwell every believer that is truly born again. So let's look at our text in 2 Corinthians 13 and 11. Finally, brothers. Now, I've told you, and I want you to understand, and if you have a different version, a different uh, translation, you, you might see it written a different way. Some say brothers and sisters uh, to clear up any confusion that many times, and I've told you this, and I want you to understand, many times when the Bible says brethren, brothers, sons, men, it's not being gender specific. It's, it's, it's when, it, when the word says men, many times it's talking about all humans. Many, when it talks about brothers, it's talking about people who have God as their father. And so here we see finally brothers. I love to see the words finally. I want you to start noticing when the Bible says finally when the, or when the Bible says therefore. Because it's culmination, it's a wrap-up, it's a conclusion, it's bringing it all to a point. It's like when the preacher says, I said all that to say this. That's when the good stuff's coming, and all of the Bible is good. But when he says finally, you really need to perk your ears up. If you're in a college class or a high school class, if you're in a seminar, and the person speaking says, let me close with these words. That's when you really need to get the pen and paper out and take notice. And here God says, finally. Now, we know the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the children of God in Corinth. And God inspired him to write this to them, but also to be his infallible word to us 2,000 years later. And let's take note of the things that we're told to do, finally. Because if you're taking notes... God's word is going to give us a handful of things that we need to do. And then he's going to promise what response he'll get. Now, listen, I've told you before, look for if and then. 
if you do these things, then God will do that. We're in an if and then right here, and I want you to make sure that you begin to do these things because the Bible says we're blessed in our deed. Many times, Christians sabotage their own blessing by thinking the right thing, saying the right thing, believing the right thing, but not what? Doing the right thing. And we need to learn how to do what God told us to do. And then we can have what God promises we can have. In, in this verse 11, he says, Finally, brothers, some, some versions say brothers and sisters, rejoice. First thing I want you to think about, rejoice. Say rejoice. rejoice. Rejoicing is a concept that is in the Bible from front to back, side to side, top to bottom. Christians should know what it means to rejoice. But I believe we live in the most depressed generation in the history of the world. I believe that we, we suffer more from bad thinking and a mental attack. The devil has always had a way to attack God's people. He, he enslaved the believers in the Old Testament and forced hard labor on them, even to the point where they were had, had made to make bricks without straw. The devil has done different things in different generations to attack different generations. And I believe the attack on the body of Christ, the true believer in this generation, is of the mind. If he can attack your mind, he, he can slow you down. If he can get in on your thoughts, he can mess you up. See, because it's very difficult for the heart to embrace what the mind rejects. Oh, that's the best thing you're going to hear all week. It's very difficult, some say impossible, for the heart to embrace what the mind rejects. If your mind battles your belief in the Lord, even though you know deep down that you love him and believe in him, you need to get your mind right. Because the mind will strip away your belief system that you have deep inside you. And rejoicing is a concept that is not only spoken of often in the Bible, but it's commanded that we do it. I did some study, some research on this word rejoice, and it's a Greek word that means to be glad. And then the expanded definition, if you look in a Greek dictionary, will say to be so pleased with life that you celebrate. I don't see a lot of celebration going on in uh, the body of Christ in 2023. Now, I remember one day, me and a bunch of my friends, before I was saved, was in high school, Ed White High School. We skipped school, and we went over to Brian and Chris Leggett's house. And they lived in Country Creek, and they wanted to teach everybody how to dance. And... It's so funny because when I saw on Hitch, how many of y'all remember Hitch? Uh, when he told Kevin James, don't be funky, don't be special, just, it's where you live, right? He said, you just stay right here. Don't do none of that. Just live right here. And my boy Chris Leggett, has his little sister taught him how to dance to the cool in the gang song titled what? Celebration. And so there we were, five of us dudes in a living room rocking back and forth to celebration. But we were celebrating what was going on in our life because we had left school, didn't get caught, and made it off the campus. And we were, we were eating pizza rolls that were warmed up in the oven, and we were enjoying ourselves. What happened to the average person in America that has robbed so much joy. The average person now is more beat down than lifted up. The average person in America now is more troubled in their mind than set free. And God has commanded us to rejoice. I'm going to tell you again, it's a, to be so pleased with life that it causes you to celebrate. God has revealed himself to us in many different ways. He's revealed himself to us as a farmer. He's revealed himself to us as a landowner. He's revealed himself to us as a king. He's revealed himself to us as a boss, a master, a slave owner. But the primary way that God has consistently revealed himself to us is as a father. 
And I know about being a father. And if you're not a father, you, you can think in your mind what a father should be. And I want you to understand, one of the things that the father doesn't like is seeing long-faced children. Are you following me? Sad, gloomy children. Children that don't rejoice. Children that aren't happy. I, I love what Deacon Scott Mills says. Do, do, do you remember? I don't know if he says it a lot, but I remember one year y'all went to Disney World, and there were kids crying everywhere. And he's, it's, Deacon Scott's sense of humor is, is so spot on. He said, yeah, Disney World, happiest place on earth. <laughs> so ever since then, every time I go to Disney World and I get in that tram, there's always one baby screaming and hollering. And I've told my kids every time I see a, a baby like that, because we used to have annual passes to Disney when my kids were small. We went all the time. And I told them, when we were driving there, I said, now, I'm not spending all this money. And if you've ever been to Disney World, you spend a lot of money. You start paying $11 for a, a little cup of Coke, you're, 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 you're balling out. You start paying $12.50 for a little ice cream shaped like Mickey's ears, that's a lot of money. And I told him, I am not taking you guys to this place to see long-faced children, I'm spending too much money. Y'all better be smiling the whole time. Can somebody say amen? amen? Parents do a lot of hard work and spend a lot of money. We don't want to see depressed children when we're doing our best. And here's the thing. God's always doing his best. Amen. And God has spent all of heaven's wealth to purchase his children. And we need to live a life that shows that we are thankful. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Oh, there's that word twice in one sentence. God is just narrowing it down, laser focusing on this concept of rejoicing. But the word I want you to see uh, is, is more specific than just rejoice. It's to rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you can only rejoice when you're having a good day, then you're not going to fulfill this verse because it says to rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. You cannot rejoice in life always. You cannot rejoice in your money always. You cannot rejoice in your health always. You cannot rejoice in your friends always. You can't rejoice in politicians always, if ever. You can't rejoice in Things always, because life is cyclical. Things go up, things come down. Mountains, valleys, and everything in between. But if you look between the word rejoice and the word always, you see this phrase, in the Lord. Now, if you really want to get your mind right, if you really want to celebrate, you need to constantly be thinking about what he has done. The scripture says to not forget his benefits. I hope that God has done something for you in your lifetime. If you don't know what God has done for you, I'll tell you the big thing he done, did for all of us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God showed his love to us by sending his son to die for us and to be raised again so we could have life. When you're down and out, when you feel your, your heart is 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 struggling, your mind is struggling, when you feel sorrowful, you need to remember, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. You say, Pastor, you're always saying it. I'm always saying it. I want you to always be saying it to yourself. I want you to be remembering that this is not all that there is. Because here's the reality. The Apostle Paul said it, and it, it's true then and it's still true today. If there is no resurrection, then we above all men are most miserable. <laughs> Let me help you out with that. So if you're not really going to go to heaven when you die, living this life, is you're not getting all the good out of life you can get. I, I told a person one time, they said they didn't want to be saved. And this was a teenage boy. His father quit the church that day and been talking bad about me ever since brought his son to me for counseling, and his son said in front of both of us, I just want to be high and hang out with my friends. But he believed he was born again. And, and, and after talking to him, it was obvious that he wasn't born again. 
And so I told him, I said, man, if you don't love Jesus, if you don't love God more than your friends, more than getting high, more than your parties, then that's not what real salvation is, and you may as well go, go on and get high now. He looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, you got no hope of resurrection. You got nothing waiting for you on the other side of life but hell and destruction. Pain and suffering, torment, weeping and wailing, and gnashing of teeth. You better go get all the good you can get in this life because you got nothing but bad waiting on you on the other side. And his father said, did you just encourage my son to get get high? I said, I encourage your son to pick a side. Get on with God or get on with the world because you're going to be miserable straddling a fence. And if you're truly saved, God's not going to let you get too far away from him. He keeps his real children on a short leash. But if, if, if we have embraced Christianity, if we have claimed salvation, then there's certain things that we had to do that would speak into what the apostle was saying about being miserable. We have to deny ourselves. We have to give up our hopes, our dreams. We have to not do what we want to do sometimes. Amen? But it's worth it. Can you say amen? If all you get from God is salvation and eternity in heaven, you got the thing that you needed most. And if you know that God loves you and sent his son to die for you and you've placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you ought to have plenty to rejoice about because heaven is where it's all going to come together. This is why, though, that so many people inside the church even are truly depressed because a hundred years ago, you can track it back about a hundred years ago, churches in Western civilized countries like America started preaching and promising stuff that has nothing to do with our salvation. They started preaching wealth. They started preaching uh, never being sick. I'm, I'm so tired of these people walking around saying that they're not sick when they're sneezing, coughing, snot running down their nose. Christianity is not about defying reality. It's about believing beyond what you can see. But these, these preachers started preaching, if you come to Jesus, you'll never have trouble again. They surely hadn't read the Bible because the ones who followed God the closest suffered the most, starting with his son. I, I read one author said, Do you really believe that God's plan for his only begotten son was the way of suffering, rejection, pain, and abandonment, but for you it's all sunshine, roses, and and hard rock candy? That's just, but the church started promising that. The church started saying, come to Jesus and he'll make you rich. Jesus didn't make himself rich. Why does he want to make you rich? Well, I just believe God wants everybody to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Listen, God wants people to be saved, and I'd rather be a poor beggar on the side of the road going to heaven than a rich person in a mansion going to hell. If you keep your mind on the Lord, then you'll be able to rejoice. I woke up thankful that it was Sunday and we get to gather in his name. But how many of y'all heard that rain rain all night long? And I had to keep pulling my mind back in the Lord. Because I've been around long enough. I know all the churchisms. I know all, all the sayings. It only takes 10 drops of rain to keep 100 Christians away from church. Rain makes everything grow but the church. People would rather stay home when it's raining than come. So I'm battling in my mind. Oh, Lord Jesus. You know, I don't feel good today. I've got I've got this situation going on with my thyroid, and I just, oh, nobody's going to be there. See, the devil wants you to think worst-case scenario. The devil wants you to think nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, nobody's got your back. Listen, if you got God, you've got all you need. So I had to remind myself, it don't matter if nobody shows up. Other than two or three people, which I knew that we'd have at least two people here this morning, I'd make three. And God said he promised that when two or three are gathered in his name, that he's there with us. So I was able to begin to rejoice 
Not because it was raining and I was going to have a sea of purple seat staring at me. But because the Lord is still on my side. God is still God all the time. And you will find the only ability given to you to rejoice always is when you keep your mind stayed on the Lord. When you continue to invoke the presence of God and the promises of God, when you continue to remind yourself of his benefits, no matter how bad the economy gets, no matter how crime-filled Jacksonville gets, no matter how horrible your personal situation gets, God is still God alone, and he's still worthy to be praised at all times. So if we remind ourselves, hold on now, I'm not just a person living in North Florida. I am a child of the living God on my way to an eternity in heaven where there's no sorrow, no sickness, and no crying. That's the only way you're going to be able to rejoice the way God says rejoice. That's the only way you're going to be able to walk in this verse and access the promise accessible through our text verse is to rejoice in the Lord. That's the first thing he tells us to do in verse 11. Put verse 11 back on the screen for me. He says, finally, rejoice. Okay, we just talked about that. Uh, I've always told you, pay attention to the punctuation. If you ever want to write a great Bible study for yourself, all you have to do is pay attention to the punctuation. If you ever want to outline a great Bible study for yourself, all you have to do is pay attention to the punctuation. He said, finally. I stopped and I talked to you all about what is exciting about when the preacher says finally. That finally, comma. So that's cause for pause. You've got to stop on the punctuation and think about it. Stop rushing through your reading of the Word of God. You've got to stop. You've got to pay attention to the punctuation. Slow it down. Get it on the inside of you. After that, comma, says brothers. Then it says comma there. So I talked to you about these are the people, the family of God. And then he says rejoice. We talked about rejoice. Now let's work our way to the next punctuation. Aim for restoration, comma. So the next thing we need to do is to aim for restoration. Now, if something must be restored, then guess what happened to it? It went bad. If if something needs to be restored, you don't restore something that's perfect. You don't restore something that is complete. But God tells us here to aim for restoration. I want to give you what it says in other versions. Y'all know if if you follow along, if you will go to blueletterbible.com or blueletterbible.org, same website, and pull up the verse, you can click Bibles and you can read that one verse in about 13 different translations and you can see the expanded definition of what it's saying. Here in our text, it says aim for restoration. In other versions, it says grow to maturity, be complete, mend your ways, set things right, be restored or be perfected. It's about growing the right way. Say the right way. When this Greek word for all those things we just talked about, being complete, being mature, being restored. It's talking about two people who've had problems. Now, how many of y'all know you can't come to church more than three weeks in a row without having a problem with somebody? If you're like, well, I've never had a problem with anybody. That's because you stay to yourself and you don't let anybody see those horns sticking out your head. God has commanded his children to walk in unity, to love each other. I'm going to tell you this. You get around people long enough, somebody's going to catch you wrong. Somebody's going to get a piece of your mind that they didn't want to have. And that's why I always tell you, you need to let God shine through you. You need to to let people see God in you, not yourself. But God knows anytime you put family around each other, there's the opportunity there for uh, some conflict. All you got to do, if you're having family over for Christmas, you you don't need need me to go any further than that. You you gotta let you gotta let your spouse know. Now these are my parents, and I know you don't like them, but we're gonna be Christians. 
See, that, that, that's how old school people enforce their happiness. These people come into your house and they bring their ridiculous acting children climbing all over your furniture, acting a fool in a way you wouldn't have it done. There's going to be opportunity for conflict. Can anybody say amen? You can't do life inside the Lord's church surrounded by brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different ideas and concepts without there being some conflict. But. One of the things, because we're looking at things, we're looking at five things that we've got to do to get God to do what he promised to do. We've got to have as our aim restoration. You, you got you to walk through it. I've never had a conflict with Deacon Ken Huff. I've never had a cross word with him. We never raised voice to each other, never slammed doors. Is that true or false? Never had any kind of con- Now, every now and then there's somebody like that. Thank God for that. But there's a lot of people that just conflict is their middle name. What Elvis say? If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look at my face. I was born standing up and talking back. I'm the son of a wild-eyed mountain jack, I think. But there are just certain people that are like that. They, they, they are just T-R-O-U-B-L-E. They're just trouble. They just create mess everywhere they go. And you're going to run into that person inside the church if you stay in the church long enough. And that's why you don't need to just restore when it's necessary. You need to have aim. That, that's looking real close. That's zeroing in. You need to aim for restoration. Well, I don't have issue with nobody. Well, keep aiming for restoration so when it happens, you'll have restoration on the mind. The Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Every Christian's ministry, no matter what it is outside of this, it, it includes this restoration. Well, you don't know what they said to me. Doesn't matter. God said to forgive. You don't, you don't know how hard it is to be around them. doesn't matter. It's hard to be around you too. Mm. <laughs> Honesty is tough for some people. But we've got to aim for restoration. That's talking about growing in maturity. If you read the Bible, you'll see God is consistently saying to grow, 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 to be mature, to be complete, to become perfected in Christ. And here's the reality. Immature people don't get along very well with each other. And I'll use the example I've used before. Just go into any daycare center in the country or any nursery in any church in the country and watch these little heathens. Yeah, you're a little special, precious, perfect. Argue, fuss, and fight, and grabbing toys out of people's hands. Snatch mine, 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 mine. They're immature. They don't know how to get along. One of the most immature things that you'll ever see in young men, boys, is when they're out playing a game together, be it football, uh, basketball, whatever it is, and one of them gets so upset, and it's always the one that had the ball because he's a spoiled brat. Every, see, that's the great thing about where I grew up. I didn't have to have a football. I know if I went up to the park, there'd be kids there that had a football. I didn't have to have a basketball. I knew my friend around the way had a basketball. But that overly spoiled child is immature. And when you upset him, he's going to pout, stomp his feet, take his ball, and walk away. If you're that kind of person, then you are not aiming for restoration, and you are not being matured in the things of God. Here's what grown men learn how to do. Now, I'm saying men specific on this because I, I, got, I got a different commentary for women. Grown men can line up across from each other for three hours every Sunday and bash each other in the head. They've had uh, scientists study concussions and football. They say that if you play on the offensive or defensive line, it is like getting in 30 15 to 25 mile an hour head-on collisions in a three-hour period. 
boom, crash, boom. These people, they are out to kill. You see them stomp on each other. They, they spit at each other. They cuss at each other. But when the final whistle blows and the last second ticks off the clock, it's high fives, slapping each other on the butt. Some of them go to the center of the field and join hands and pray with each other. How are they able to war for three hours, battle for three hours, and then hug it out and pray together? Maturity. Maturity. Because they know, you're not my enemy. We're just out here on the battlefield doing battle. But now when the, when the whistle blows, it's not battle anymore. Now you say, well, what, what were you talking about with women? Here's where I make the turn. Men and women are different. Don't let the left fool you. Don't let these progressives make you think that, that uh, they never say a man can do anything that a woman can do, but they always say a woman can do anything that a man can do. I got about six things you can't do as a woman. If you want to know, find me. I'll tell it to you just straight out blunt uh, when we're not in such a such crowd. But men and women are different. And the reason why God gave size and strength primarily to man, I'm just as strong as any man. Well, then you're a brute. God primarily gave size and strength to men because if he would have gave size and strength to women, the whole world would have killed itself by now. Man, I'm going to tell you this. Do not get on the wrong side of a woman. They, they, these expressions are said have become common expressions for a reason. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Oh, man, you can bang and battle with a dude. You, you, you can elbow him in the paint, shove him out. Then after it's over, hey, man, I, 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 I know I was a little, hey, no worries, man, it, it, it's just ball. Women, go ahead and cross a woman. Go ahead and battle up with her. Fifteen years later, she'll be able to tell you what you were wearing the day you looked at her sideways. 35 years later, she'll be able to recount to you every word and every grunt that came into your possession. So, women mature in different ways than men mature. But God wants his children to grow. Say grow. You got to aim for restoration. Why would you have to aim for it? Because it's not easy to get. You just can't have it off the rip. You just don't get restoration everywhere you go. You've got to, you've got to zero your focus in and say, I'm going to be restored with anyone. You know, Jesus told us that if you have a problem with your brothers and sisters and you come to bring your gift to the altar of God, leave your gift there, go get right with your brother and sister in Christ first and then come back and offer your prayers and your gifts to God. The body of Christ needs to learn how to aim for restoration. You need to have it's okay on you all the time. You know, a mature person can take a lot more than an immature person can take. It, it, even in the animal kingdom. You see a big old Rottweiler just sitting on the porch, just looking at you. Hmm, That might be a whole lot more trouble than that Jack Russell Terrier jumping on you, biting, snapping at you. Those immature dogs like that, that little man syndrome always trying to prove themselves, they're not mature, but they are the ones that will bite you first. I want you to start aiming for restoration because if you're easily offended, that's a mark of immaturity. If you don't like to accept people's apologies, that's a mark of immaturity. If you don't give apologies when you should, that's a mark of immaturity, and no parent wants to see their child be immature forever. Some of you have been in Christ for decades, and you're still walking around like babies, upset by everything, freaked out by everything, angered by everything, ticked off about life, when you should be walking around knowing, I got God on my side. I, 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 no matter what comes my way, I've got the Lord, and we need to learn how to aim for restoration, because here's the reality. Trouble's coming. Somebody's going to ruffle your feathers. You come to Abundant Life, you're going to hear something that steps right on your big toe. And if you can't say amen, just say ouch. But learn how to be mature. Learn how to love people. Hear this? 
in spite of them. I've been telling you since we started, if we're going to fulfill the command of God to love each other, then we're going to have to love each other when we don't deserve it. We're going to have to love each other when each other's acting a fool. We're going to have to love each other when each other is not catering to what we want. That takes a lot of maturity when you can start loving somebody in spite of them. See, I told you men and women were different. Women are so much better at this than men are. I've been pastoring for a long time, and I've seen almost everything a human being could see in life, and I've seen addicted children, young adult children driving their family crazy, staying high, getting drunk, apologizing, still doing it, getting high, stealing stuff. Uh, Listen, men handle that different than women. That's why I told y'all, mothers, they they love their children way beyond what fathers fathers are are normally apt to do. Now, some men do it well, but I'm going to tell you this. Most men have a, he crossed a line button. Oh, Ray Ray's welcome to come home, uh, but he's going to sleep in the backyard because he ain't getting up under my roof again. No, he stole my craftsman tools. He stole my DeWalt drill. No, he's done. He, he, he pawned my circular saw. I am done. And, that, and then that's when every man tells, tells his wife, I, I, I'm done with your child. Mothers tend to hold on a little longer. They're a little bit more stubborn in their love. They're a little bit more. We're going to love him no matter what. You know what? She's aiming for restoration. She, 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 knows, she knows Ray Ray's an idiot, a thief, a liar, a drug addict, a con artist. But that's her baby. And, and, and that's why you see him on new. Listen, if you have a wiling out child, don't be that crazy woman on Channel 4 News after he goes out and shoots up some people and does something crazy. I, just, I, ne- I never saw it coming. I, ne- I just came in. He used to sing in the choir when he was five. He's 25 right now, and the signs were all around him. You just didn't see it. But be aiming for restoration. You ought to aim for restoration when you leave the house. I have learned now, finally, after being here, uh, we hit 10 years yet or nine? Huh? Nine. I've been, do- I've been doing this four-way stop sign for nine years, multiple times a week, often multiple times a day. And it has just been under my skin. I thought about writing everybody in the city council, the president of the world, and letting them know. People in Jacksonville are not smart enough to navigate a four-way stop. Happened to me again this morning. I knew it was going to happen. This car was coming up. They were in front of me. So I slowed down. They they were on my right. They were going to cross over this way. So I, I, I laid back. And I always jam my brake on it the four-way stop so they see when I stopped, and they know they already stopped before me. But there they were doing me like this, and I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, that's you. And I have learned how to, when I'm getting close to that four-way stop, I am aiming for restoration. I'm not going to let them snatch the Holy Ghost right out of me. I'm not going to let them take all my joy just because they are driving idiots. Got a good verse for you. I'll make you work for it, though. I ain't going to give you the address. Uh, I can tell you this. God inspired Paul to write it to the Corinthians where he said, If anyone will be ignorant, let them be ignorant. So I'm just rejoicing going through that four-way stop now. I'm just like, they're all ignorant, Lord, but I'm I'm just going to rejoice, and I'm not going to be mad at anybody because their mom and daddy didn't teach them how to drive on a four-way stop. You need to aim. When, if you know that you got to go to Walmart, mm, you better get Walmart Plus, have them deliver it. No minimum, free delivery. If you got to go to Walmart, you better get your Holy Ghost on. You better get on the good foot. You better tell God, Lord, I'm aiming for restoration because you're going to see some stuff that will drive you crazy. Traveling this week, you're going to see family, they're coming to see you. Your aim better be restoration because some people go the other way. Some, pe- some people just tell you right out, if your brother insults me one more time inside my own house, uh, that's not aiming for restoration. That's gearing up for battle. 
And we need to do what some theologians talk about, move in the opposite spirit. When you want to go in, aim for restoration. When you, when you feel like you're, somebody's trying to upset you, somebody's trying to get you, somebody's trying to trigger you, somebody's trying to push your button, aim for restoration. God wants to see his children loving each other and being mature. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Colon, Paul's on that. This is my commandment. Now, here he's in, nearing the end of his earthly ministry. And the whole time he's been telling people, I don't speak anything of myself. I only say what the Father tells me to say. He was saying, in my Father's house, in my Father's kingdom, the whole time preaching the kingdom of God. Now he comes to the end. He had told him and told him and told him what God's commandments were. He said, well, now this is my commandment. Y'all say y'all love me. Y'all say y'all are down with me. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Woo! He loved us when we didn't deserve it. Guess, what you, guess how you got to love people when they don't deserve it? He loves us when we were doing crazy. Guess what you got to do? You got to love people when they're doing crazy. If you don't do that, then you're not fulfilling the Lord's commandments. In Romans 12, 10, the Bible says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Mm, I just know he's going to say something about one of his favorites. He's he, he about to talk about how, 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 how good so-and-so is. Uh, listen, <laughs> you, you, you're, you don't know how to honor people. Some people get so upset when somebody is called out as to having, well, they don't ever call my name, and I've done plenty of good. Don't you know the Bible says that if you get all your compliments and all your rewards for what you've done here, you won't get them in heaven? You shouldn't have to need somebody always puffing you up, always blowing you up, and it shouldn't bother you when other people are honored. Well, when is my time? What if your time only comes in heaven? Won't that be enough? John 13, 35, Jesus said it this way. By this, will all, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the missing ingredient in most people's lives. The Bible says love doesn't get offended. Love doesn't keep track of how many times you did them wrong. Love does, doesn't, do, do, it's not easily angered. We've got to do what the Lord said to do so we can have what he said we can have. And he said, the way that the world is going to know that you're my followers is when you love each other. Well, Pastor, you don't know how. Yeah, it doesn't matter how they did you. Jesus has commanded us to love each other. If all, if all you had to do was love the lovable, Jesus said e even heathens do that. You got to love those hard-to-love folk. You wonder why there's so many hard-to-love people in church? Because the world wouldn't have them. They tried hanging out at the local bar, but every time somebody saw how whack they were, they moved two stools down. But in church, we're commanded to love everybody. So everybody ought to come. Listen, if you're socially awkward and weird, this, this is your good zone. We're going to love you. Why? Because God told us, well, I don't want you loving me because God, I want you to love me for me. Well, it can be lovable. But when they're not, the way we're going to prove to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ is by the way we show love for each other. So God's telling us in this passage to do these things. He's telling us to rejoice. He's telling us to aim for restoration. Put, put, put the text verse back on the screen for me. He said, rejoice, aim for restoration, comma. I told you all you got to do is follow the punctuation. What's the next point in the sermon, y'all? Comfort one another. Well, when somebody going to comfort me? You're so selfish. You, you, you ought to thank God that God is your comforter. You ought to thank God he sent the Holy Ghost to be inside you. But I studied this phrase this week, and, and that phrase, comfort one another, literally means to encourage and strengthen someone else by consolation or comforting them. Bitter people can't be in God's kingdom effectively. 
Bitter people can't walk in the promises of God because they're, they're so upset about what's going on in their life, they never waste any of their time comforting somebody else. And that's what they think it is, a waste of time. Listen, when you begin to comfort others, when you begin to encourage people who are struggling, when you begin to have empathy and sympathy, when you start trying to help somebody that can't help you back, then you're going to start walking in the promises of God. And don't ever forget, you reap what you sow. Whatever you want in life, just give, give that thing away. Dr. Jack Hayford wrote a great book called The Key to Everything is Giving. And he starts off in the beginning of it saying this book is not exclusively about money. It is about giving away what you want to get back. The Bible says what, what you give to others you're going to receive to yourself. If you feel like people aren't nice enough to you, start being nice to them. If you feel like people aren't friendly to you, start being friendly to them. If you, if you lack joy in your life, start giving joy to other people. God said one of these five things we need to do is to comfort one another. Put, put the main verse back on the screen for me. So we got number one, rejoice. Number two, aim for restoration. Number three, comfort one another. Man, there's a lot going on in this verse. And then the fourth thing he says is what? Agree with one another. Woo! That, that shouldn't be as hard as it is. Because we used to, in America, have a unique ability to live inside this phrase that says, let's just agree to... And it's all good. You can have your opinion, I can have mine. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Cancel culture has ruled that out. The, the extreme progressive left has ruled that out. Think the way I think or I'll kill you. Think how I think or I'll cancel you. Support what I support. Listen, you, you got all these people going around right now saying that if you're not actively fighting and being a frontline activist for the LGBTQPIA++ community, third spirit, non-gender, gender-conforming wackadoodle, that you're creating harm for them. You want them dead. You're trying to kill. No, I, that just ain't my thing. You do you. But don't expect me to do you. Listen, we, we, if you can't agree to disagree, then you're never going to be able to agree with people because people have different thoughts. Well, how can we agree with one another when we think different? Well, we can agree to disagree, and we can focus on what we agree on. I've told you many times, it's okay to, to not agree with me about everything. We got people to serve in ministry in this church that don't agree with all of my theology. That, but the, and it doesn't matter to me. You think what you want to think about speaking in tongues. Think what you want to think about laying hands on the sick and, and raising the dead. I believe in all that stuff. You think what you want to think about all those non-salvation necessary issues. As long as we can agree on the one thing that Jesus said, that he's the only way to get to heaven. And if you agree with me on that, then I can agree with you. Somebody ought to say amen. Stop fighting all that. Well, they, somebody needs to set them straight. We, when we started this church, we started with 15 adults. And uh, one of them, well, she was actually 17, but they had her on the pulpit search committee uh, as a 17-year-old. Um, but her name was Amber. And Amber was zealous for the Word of God. And every, everything she heard me say, she went out and did it. And then we started having little kids getting in trouble in school because they started getting zealous for the Word of God. And when I would stand up and say that, Jesus is the only way to heaven, and if you're not born again, you're going to bust hell wide open. We started having second and third graders going to hell telling, or going to school telling their teachers, you're going to hell. And I had to counsel them. I had to counsel Amber. Had to, listen, don't take what I say in the pulpit where God has commanded me to rebuke and to correct and to instruct the body of Christ as to that's how we should all live out in the street every day. God hasn't called everybody to go around correct. I had somebody this week say, well, they just needed my correct. No, they didn't need your correction. What, what they needed is your agreement that you would love them in spite of them. Let the correctors do the correcting. Oh, I'm so thankful that God didn't call my sons into ministry. 
Because the Bible promises if you correct a wise person, they will love you and grow yet wiser. But if you correct a foolish person, they will hate you. Hatred is promised on true ministers of the gospel because God has commanded us to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering. But don't go around in the street, see somebody, we were talking to staff, something about littering came up. I despise littering. Uh, I'll be more honest. I hate people who litter. Pray for me. If I, I see these people riding down 103rd Street, just sling a whole McDonald's bag out the window, the cup, the paper, all flying. So I just want to chase them down and, 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 and just, you know, lay hands on them in the name of the Lord. I don't like littering. Maybe you like littering. I had people in my car go to roll my window down and throw out an apple core. I'm like, you ain't throwing that out of my... It's by, I don't care if it's fruit, vegetable, biodegradable, or flipto-gradable. We don't throw stuff out of my car window. But you might not agree with that. You might say it's a banana peel, and you throw it out, and then some old man slips on it, breaks his hip, dies in traffic, and it's all your fault. But y'all don't know what all goes on up here. We don't have to agree on what flavor of milkshake is the best. Everybody knows strawberry is the best. You like chocolate or vanilla? It's okay for you to be wrong. I agree with your decision for you to like the wrong kind of milkshake. But I ain't wrong. You're wrong. Okay, well, agree with me then. That I like the wrong. Listen, we're not going to agree on every minute detail. That's not what the word is commanding. God doesn't command us to do things that are impossible, but He does command us to do things that are extremely difficult. So difficult that it requires His help. People have lied to each other, and preachers have lied to churches telling them, Well, you know, the Bible says God won't put more on you than you can bear. That's not true. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. They, they twist a verse that says God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with every temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. They read that and say, see, God won't put nothing on me that I can't bear. That's not what he said. He said he, everything he puts on you has an escape route to get out of it, and that's how you bear it, by taking God's exit ramp. But God is determined to put more on you than you can bear. If you didn't hear anything, hear this. God wants to put more on you than you can bear. God wants to load you up with so much that you have to depend on him or fail. People, people sending me messages about people sending grieving folk messages. Well, you must be one of God's super strong warriors because he knows you could bear it because he promised he wouldn't put in. No, he didn't promise not to put more on you than you could. He promised to put more on us than we can bear so that we will get on our knees and turn to him. God ain't told us to do nothing that's impossible, but he told us to do a lot of things that are hard. This is one of them. Agreeing with whack folk. Sometimes you have to look for something. Like, well, do you believe this? No. Do you like it? No. Uh, do you believe that we're alive? Not conceptually. I mean, you might, you might have to track down a bunch of things. I, I had one guy when I worked at the General Mail Center downtown for the United States Post Office. There was a guy there who was a contrarian to everything. Um, he, he was, he was African-American, and he was trying to go around teaching everybody that everything we've been told was wrong. He, he, he'd come up and say, which way is up? And if you went that way, he'd say, no, it's not. What if, what, if, what, if, what if up is this and down is that? Now, you know he needed medication. He needed to get out of the postal system is what he needed to do. Some people are just hard to find agreement with. Doesn't matter how hard it is. You need to find agreement with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to find a way to agree. Well, at least we all know. That Jesus paid for our sins so we could go to heaven. That's enough agreement to, to get along. The next thing, let's put that verse up there. The next thing he says, the last thing he says is to live 
in peace. To live in peace. In, in the original, that phrase, to live in, means to cultivate and maintain. To cultivate and maintain. God wants us to cultivate peace everywhere we go and maintain it. This is why I tell people in, 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 in marriages that are struggling, if your marriage is headed toward divorce, you need to do everything you humanly can do to salvage that because God said so. And if it goes bad, you ought to be able to lay your head down on a pillow and say, I know I did everything that I could do. If you're having difficulty maintaining peace with somebody, you need to do everything you can to be restored, to walk in one accord with them, to be in agreement with them. So even if they just cut you off and will not be reconciled, that you at least you'll know, I did everything I can. You ought to be able to tell your dad. My, my kids always knew. If they, if they had trouble with each other, they had trouble with me. And the one who was being the most trouble causing was going to get the most trouble, but they both were going to get trouble. Don't be the child who causes the most trouble in God's family. Learn how to maintain peace with people. Learn how to not have to have your way all the time. Learn how to prefer others above yourself. This is the only hope that the body of Christ has for unity. And the Bible says that the place of unity is the place where God commands the blessing. Now I want to get to what, what the word says uh, in, in many translations. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Oh, glory. Then. When's then, church? After you do those five very difficult things to do. You say, well, how can they be less difficult, preacher? Let God do it through you. God doesn't have a problem maintaining and cultivating peace. God doesn't have a problem being in agreement. God doesn't have a problem rejoicing. God doesn't have a problem doing all these things. But if you will keep your mind focused on the Lord, you'll be able to do these five things, and then the God of love and peace will be with you. And this is what I'm talking about, a tangible presence of God. This is what I'm talking about where God really walks with you and talks with you. Come on, Victor. This is where the Bible says, then the God of love and peace will be with you. If you had to be honest about how often you really sense the love and peace of God all over you, it's not enough time. You need God not just to be omnipresent. God, God is already with every, every, God's everywhere all the time. But is his love and peace with you? We used to sing a song, I've got peace, love, and joy like a river. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river in my soul. Is so missing from the average Christian. The peace of God and the love of God has become distant to so many people because they've allowed themselves to become distant on God. The peace and the love of God is not flowing through his children the way he wants it to because too many times we've grieved his spirit and we've shut him out. God wants his children to get along. God wants his children to do these five things. Because there is a tangible presence of God. Last verse I want you to see, Acts 5.32. The apostles were gathered together and they said, We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit, comma. Listen to this phrase. Who is given by God to those who obey him. God gives the Holy Spirit in measure based on obedience. There's no way around it. You can't do enough good things to get into heaven. We get into heaven by faith. The Bible says by keeping of the law, no flesh will be justified. We're justified by believing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, took our place, and made us right with God. But the things that you do in this life, 
will determine the measure. The Bible says God gave Jesus the Holy Ghost without measure. He didn't say that for Scott Becker. He didn't say that for you. None of us in this room have the Holy Ghost without measure because God gives greater measure to those who obey him. If you really want to have peace, I mean real peace. Jesus said, I'll give you peace. Not like the world gives a real peace. If you really want to have the mind of Christ, if you really want to be what God wants you to be, examine our text this morning. Start doing those five things. And you obey those five things. And God is going to pour his spirit out on you in greater measure. Too many Christians are walking through this life alone. Too many Christians are walking through this life without the, 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 the tangible presence of God in their life. So much so that that extremely long poem became profitable and made millions of dollars. Uh, how many of y'all remember that footprints in the sand? It said uh, that, you know, you promised to be with me. But, and, and I saw two sets of footprints walking on the sand together on those days that you were with me when everything was great. But then in the hard times... I only saw one set of footprints. Why weren't you with me then? And he said, my child, it was in those times that I carried you. Too many people walking on one set of footprints. Not the Lord carrying them, but their own. God doesn't want you struggling. God doesn't want you upset. Parents want their children to be happy and to be growing and to be successful. Be honorable. The Holy Spirit is given by God to those who obey Him. I want you to consider the things that have been said today. Go and study these five things. Go look to how you can do these five things in obedience to God. And then you're going to find peace like you never knew. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in what we eat or drink. It's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not enough people claiming Christ that have the God of peace all over them. Because you got to do some things. you got to do what God said to get to the place where he says, then he'll do that for you. Stop waiting on when God's going to come through for you. Start coming through for God and watch heaven open up over you and God pour his spirit out on you because I promise it is very difficult to live the way God wants you to live if you try to do it alone. But it is very easy for the spirit of God inside you to obey everything that the Father has called us to obey. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person who's here today, Lord. And I pray that we would give attention to your word. Not just to hear it, not just to agree with it, but to apply it to our everyday life, God. Help us, Lord, to do what you called us to do so we can have what you promised to give us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.